when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friend. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shot suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. What does everybody want? Hi, I'm former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Avatar is here. 
You're out snow. We say in Oklahoma, he's goofy as a pet coon. The hell am I doing? There you go. Where the hell am I at? Almost like he's hallucinating or something. Oh my God, no! Oh no! What am I wearing the genie pants for? He just realized. Oh Jesus, no! Please help me! Oh my God, the last time they made me wear this outfit, you could have stuffed a magnet up my ass and drugged me through four docks, and I still wouldn't have drawn money. Oh, please, God, no, not again. This has got to be a bad dream. Tell me this is not happening. I am not Avatar again. I am not Avatar. <laughs> oh, God, this is really, I'm really losing it now. <laughs> He had to get himself dressed and come out here. Did he not know what he was doing? Well, he lost his dog. He lost his poor little dog. Wait, it's barking. And now Al's barking. Trained by Jim Lancaster in 1982, this was still the era where it would have been easier to get into the mob. Al Snow has since accomplished many things. Best known for his in-ring work in ECW, WWE, and Impact, but also many people realize and know Al as the head coach at Tough Enough. What many outside the business are starting to really appreciate Al for is the knowledge that he is trying to pass on both in and out of the ring for future generations. With both the Al Snow Academy overseas and the newly accredited vocational trade school, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which now follows the semester system of being a two-year, 60-credit-hour program. Most are familiar with OVW when it was owned by Nightmare Danny Davis and they had former graduates such as Nick Dinsmore, Brock Lesnar, Batista, and John Cena with many, many more. So let's go ahead and shoot over to the interview with Al Snow. Alright folks, uh, Facebook, which 
recently had come out, I guess, within the past two months or so, I shouldn't say, I guess. His book came out about two months ago, uh, ECW Test, Self-Help, Life Lessons from a Bizarre Wrestling Career about Snow. Uh, host edit, though, the whole world of professional wrestling is bizarre, if you really look at it. But on the phone right now is Al Snow. Al, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. And how are you? No complaints on this side, but first of all, before besides congratulations for the book, I, uh, I think you deserve congratulations for what you did with OVW. Because recently I had heard what you did was that or you had uh, the school certified within the state to be a trading school. Uh, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, what I've done is um, I have gotten the uh, office, the state office of proprietary education. They oversee uh, secondary education, uh, trade schools, universities, and the like. Uh, in the state of Kentucky, um, I went and uh, applied and received uh, accreditation as an actual trade school for uh, the ASWA Al Snow Wrestling Academy. Uh, this has never been done before in professional wrestling, um, and I thought that it was high time and needed to be done uh, for a number of reasons. One was to um, raise the standards and, and uh, of the people who are trying to enter into professional wrestling. Um, the second was because of the necessity, the absolute need, I felt, that uh, giving these young men and women uh, skills beyond just being in the ring. Um, professional wrestling is great at teaching you how to get into wrestling and to pursue an in-ring career, uh, giving you the skills to do that. Uh, unfortunately, um, we're very lacking in teaching the skills of how to have a career outside of the ring when that in-ring career comes to an end, whether it be through injury or just simply attrition. Um, you're going to have a time where uh, you can no longer be a performer. Um, and I'm hoping that by giving these additional skills um, through a uh, two-year accredited course, um, that we'll be able to help these young men and women at the back ends of their career uh, continue to have a productive uh, and uh, life and a passion that they can follow and um, enjoy. Well, that, that's an awesome idea. Well, when you bought OVW, uh, for those who don't know, I guess it was about a year or so ago, Al had purchased the OVW that it's been known as a, a trading territory from Danny Davis. Was this probably one of your first goals to, hey, you know what, if I'm getting into buying the school and the training and everything that goes with OVW, I want to try to make this an accredited uh, school. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, that was part of the plan right from the start. I've always felt like and held the opinion that um, professional wrestling training is not the same as if you wanted to pursue, say, MMA or boxing or 
martial arts or something of that nature. You're you're learning a physical skill to perform an athletic endeavor, where in professional wrestling training, you're being taught skills to um, not just perform an athletic endeavor, but you're learning to perform that athletic endeavor to pursue a career, a vocation, um, an avenue to, you know, make money uh, uh, for the rest of your life. And so you're learning to trade. And I felt like, you know, that needed to be uh, done. The other reason why, and this will be a little controversial, is because of the fact that I don't think the professional wrestling has any standards anymore. Um, the door is wide open, and everybody can walk through. They can, you know, the only uh, standard, both by the professional wrestlers themselves and uh, by the professional wrestling trainers and by the actual athletic commissions, is to say, if you can pay your money, um, you can walk in and you can be a professional wrestler. The bar has been lowered so far that we now have people who are in professional wrestling that are in no physical or athletic condition to be in the ring performing and are putting themselves and the other people that they're in the ring with at physical risk of suffering life-altering injuries. And I find that unconscionable. I find it insulting and appalling that a person who wants to be, let's say, a hairdresser or a barber or a masseuse in any state in the Union of the United States has to go to an accredited school, be taught by an accredited teacher, and then have to finish a certain number of required hours of training and then a certain number of hours of residency before they can even go and take a test to be a licensed vocation. In professional wrestling, all you have to do is, if it's in a, a state that you have a commission, is take a physical at the most, pay your fee, and you've now become a licensed professional wrestler. Of course, you have to attend some training school that has no standards that it has to meet. Um, and be taught by a trainer that doesn't isn't required to meet certain standards as well. And I just find that very, very appalling and very upsetting. And uh, my goal with OVW is to change that and to make, uh, raise the level for everyone. Uh, I feel that all boats rise as the tide comes up. And I want it to be, you know, I want professional wrestling to be, uh, held in a higher esteem. I want it to be something that you have to aspire to, but not just everyone can get to do the way that it used to be. Now, do you think uh, that, that you've made this headway? And I'm going to move on after this, but do you think other legitimate schools say a la Danny Cage over at the Monster Factory or even the Performance Center for WWE, now that you've made this transition to make it a trade school essentially that hey you know since these other schools are teaching other things besides the wrestling and the technique and everything hey you know what maybe we should do has anybody reached out to say hey how did you go through this process that you know maybe we should look at no. in this direction as well 
Yeah, no one's reached out to me yet. Um, you know, but I, I hope that everyone does. I hope that, you know, this starts a trend and, and because it's only going to make things better for professional wrestling. It's only going to make things better for the fans. It's only going to make things better for the young men and women who are entering into, um, into the vocation of professional wrestling that, you know, not just to learn the in-ring skills, but to learn, you know, uh, all of the backstage skills, learning how to operate a camera, writing, sound, learning how to direct a show, live event management, social media management, learning how creative writing, formatting a television show. So that, that way they have a better understanding and a more clear vision of what it takes to put the show together so that they know then when they're in the ring, how better to perform and utilize the time that they have in the ring to take advantage of the opportunities they have. Um, you know, without having that experience or that understanding, um, they won't, you know, uh, they won't quite understand, hey, I need to make sure that I, when I'm in that ring on a television show, that here's the reason why I need to, you know, um, work towards the cameras, make sure that they see me in this certain way. Um, because instead of trying to explain that to them, now being a cameraman themselves and knowing what they're trying to look for and what they're trying to capture as a cameraman, they now as a performer can know what they need to do to help that cameraman get what he's looking for to be able to sell the product, which is ultimately them. If they're backstage and they're a writer, then um, being involved with <clears throat> the in-ring classes, even if they don't physically participate, but take notes and, you know, they get an understanding and gist of what it is that we're really trying to communicate and sell to the audience. And as a result, now have a better grasp and feeling of what it is they need to write to put that performer in a position to where he can uh get that across to the audience in the most effective way possible. Um, and, ha and so that the art of professional wrestling doesn't get lost. It actually just gets, the performance of it just gets better and better. Because everyone that's now a part of the show has a real grasp and understanding and relationship with, the, with what it is that we're trying to communicate to our audience. So uh, as far as the business side there, what you were talking about, uh, as a talent, and I guess it's always been a little wild, wild west side of things on certain aspects, but at least in your experience, what did you, uh, or how long did it take you to figure out when you knew and understood your value to the show? And I've heard you reference being, say, early on in your career, being a Puma or plus one on a match and where your name's on the poster or not on the poster. But, you know, as you evolved with your career out, when did you start to say, hey, I think I deserve X to come in and work a show a week or, you know, whatever the circumstances may be? I understood that from, <clears throat> from day one. Um, and the reason I did was because of the fact that that was, that was instilled in me, that I served one of two purposes. And that was either I was the thing that helped sell tickets or I was one of the things, 
the things that actually did motivate people to show up at that house um, and be there to watch the show. Um, you know, because, and the reason I reference that, you know, my experience with being Poom plus one of the match or being additional all-stars, you know, people, com- you know, uh, a lot of wrestlers complain and they, they treat it as if they, you know, uh, like, oh, I drove to such and such a town and, you know, and I didn't get paid. And, and I, believe me, I know I've been there, you know, plenty of times, you know, um, getting paid little or uh, nothing. But, you know, it was an opportunity for me to basically get on the show and try to motivate, you know, become the thing that did sell the tickets. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, people, you know, I know what some people are going to go, oh, well, now he's a promoter, so now, you know, of course he's going to say those kinds of things. But uh, quite honestly, that was, that was how it was done. You know, as, you know, the only time that I was guaranteed anything as far as pain was before I left the house was when I went and I did TV. And I would, you know, I was a job guy. I came in, I performed a job. My job was, you know, to show up for TV because the talent that were in the territory didn't get paid for TV. You know, they, they worked on TV for free and because it was a way to make them now the traction where they made the money off the live events, the house shows. And, and I wasn't in the territory. I didn't, you know, go on the loop. I went, you know, just to TV, got paid. Sometimes, you know, they would do three tapings a day, and so you'd get paid $25 a tape, um, which back then it was pretty decent, you know. And, and some promoters would, you know, give you money, trans. Um, I know Vern because it was such a long trip from Ohio out to Minnesota. And I think we made 100 or 125 and coming out there for three tapes and, you know, got paid trans um, and put a carload of guys in there and drive 24 hours one way and go out and, you know, work. But you weren't guaranteed, like, when you went to work for other people, you weren't guaranteed money, per se, um, before you left the house, unless it was a sold show um, where, the, you know, the promoter, uh, sold the show as a, a fundraiser or something, and he was guaranteed a certain amount of money. You might be guaranteed, a, uh, given a certain guarantee that, you, you know, that you'll make this much money when you come into territory, but if the houses were down, you didn't make that money, you know, because the money wasn't there. It was, you know, so you tried to do everything you could to get the houses up so that you could make the money that you had discussed. Um, you know, you weren't you weren't paid whether, you know, if, if you know, you were, if there's 10 people in the building, you're not going to get paid $1,000 um, because 10 people showed up. You know, you got to get 1,000 people to show up to get paid a certain amount of money. So, I know that that's, that's a controversial right. opinion to have these days. Um, I'm sure because the, the mindset has become you know, that this is more like, you know, and the belief is that, that, you know, as a professional wrestler, and when you get booked, that it's like a, a job. Like, you know, say, for instance, you know, you're going to go to Walmart or some other place and you're an employee, and, you know, and they, they, you show up and, you know, you're entitled to get paid X amount of money per hour based on whatever position you have within the company and whatever number of hours you work 
whether you're actually producing anything or actually serve a purpose and just show up and put your time in, um, you're entitled to getting a paycheck. In, in professional wrestling, you're not an employee. Um, you know, you, it's a business relationship with the promoter and yourself, um, where you show up and you take, utilize the opportunity of being in the ring to make yourself an attraction. And then the promoter exploits, promotes what you're doing, your artistic expression in the ring that is, that is motivating an audience to want to pay to see you. Um, he takes that and capitalizes on it to where the two of you make money together. And that's, you know, you know, I, I love the term that so-and-so got fired from whatever organization these days. And you can't fire a professional wrestler. You can release them from their contract, from their obligations, you know, um, but you can't fire them. And, and to that point, and we make it perfectly clear because I know people are going to freak out and have a fit, you know, in regards to like WWE, you know, they operate on a completely different level and they have a contract that is on a completely different level that, you know, they should copy, you know, should do more to take care of the wrestlers as far as, you know, insurance and et cetera. Um, because, you know, they've limited or locked those people down to where they're no longer independent anymore. They're still contractors, but they're not independent anymore. Exactly. You know, they're not free to just come and go as they want, and they're not, you know, and they're not free to work for whoever they want whenever they want anymore. But they're, they're still not employees. They're still contractors. They're just not independent contractors anymore. Well, you know, and I can keep you on the phone all day. The book Self-Help, uh, my bizarre uh, life in professional wrestling. But my one other question for you, and this is something I noticed, uh, and this was years ago I noticed. Um, I've never been in the business per se, but I was uh, in a locker room and such, you know, because I was helping a promotion out from time to time. And it was mind-boggling to me. And mind you, I I even say this was 15 years ago. And when you compare as far as the younger guys not knowing, at least in my perspective, there was also vets in the locker room, your cherry thumps, your sabus, your, you know, you go down the line at these indie shows, and yet the young guys seem to have that etiquette as far as, dealing with the vets and whatnot. But yet, I had a little bit of an understanding of showing the respect and just the different things. Has that changed as far as locker room etiquette? And uh, are you trying to teach that within your school? It has changed, yes. Um, um, A lot of uh, rules of conduct within the wrestling business have changed. Um, are disappearing because the sense or the understanding um, of the real art of what we're trying to do is being lost because it's no longer being communicated, uh, being taught. Uh, you know, professional wrestling training is not 
and I cannot emphasize this enough. It is not, hey, take somebody, put them in the ring, teach them how to land safely, um, show them a couple wrestling holds, um, show them how to hit the ropes, uh, show them a couple, you know, how to chain, throw, you know, uh, links in a chain, uh, you know, a tackle, drop down, hit toss, and hey, that's a high spot, and, uh, you know, okay, and then, Several weeks later, they're in the ring and they're having matches. Um, that's not how you teach or train prospective professional wrestlers. Um, you know, they have to learn their basics, the fundamentals. They have to learn how to walk properly in the ring. They have to learn timing, distance, um, you know, because no matter what the fighting style is, and professional wrestling, quite honestly, is legitimately a fighting style. And why do I say that? It's because the only thing that is fake, which is a complete misnomer, the only thing that is misrepresented is that we know the outcome before we go in the ring. But quite honestly, 98% of the actual stuff that we do physically is quite real and is quite applicable in a realistic fashion. It is the intent behind what we are doing with it that is not real. We're not, in, we're not intending to go out there and beat another person. We're going out there to use that to communicate a story within the context of a competitive situation. That's entirely different. But that does not take away the reality of a headlock. It doesn't take away the reality of knowing how to position your hips and your feet when you have that headlock on so that you can maintain balance. That doesn't take away from how to walk in the ring properly when you never cross your feet. But that reality is, is that by doing something as simple as crossing your feet in the ring, you're putting yourself at risk of great harm and injury. By twisting up your ankles at an improper time or getting a, a, where the padding's slipped apart or you've caught your toe in the canvas and then because you're off balance, your feet aren't directly into your hips, you fall into your opponent and you fall down when they're all the way across the fucking ring. There's, there is a purpose for showing every little detail, including up to the understanding of how to conduct yourself and how to behave as a professional both in the ring and outside the ring because there are a certain, a certain etiquette. And the etiquette was put there, developed, created over the years to help maintain your sense of self. It's you live the gimmick. You, because that's another controversial you know, thing these days. But you, you basically are, and for all intents and purposes, you're not, an, you're not just an actor. You're a method actor. You dive in and win the personality because it is, quite honestly, it's not a character. It's you. The you with the volume turned way up. You have control over that dial. And you have to believe in yourself and who you are, and you have to believe in why you're doing it so much, because you need that audience to believe in who you are and why you're doing it so much, that they will then invest emotionally in you. Because an audience doesn't pay one single dollar. They do not pay to see what you do. They pay to see who you are and why you're doing it. And in order for them to do that, they must believe in it. 
And in order for them to believe in it, you must believe in it. And all of the etiquette was set up to prevent you from starting to lose your grip and starting to believe your own publicity, really buying into and believing that you're bigger than the show, that you actually go out there and truly win in the ring when you would not be doing anything or being what you are if it weren't for the other person and the people around you. And that's a fine line that a lot of performers in the years past have found it hard to walk and have been found it, you know, easy to cross over on the other side. When you get those performers to do that, it makes it difficult to do business. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, is the tantamount uh, most important thing because everything we do is to do business, to motivate more people to want to pay to see us on a larger venue to make more money to give us the resources to continue to operate and allow us to do what we love to do because without an audience we are useless we have nothing we can't do what we love to do well if folks you want to get his book his books at amazon.com or any other bookstore but also, folks, remember that if you want to be inconsiderate, go and do things like have, bring in to shows tasers, midgets, and animals, which, yes, there's stories on that in the book. I won't, don't have time to get into it, or I couldn't eloquently tell those stories like Al does, if you've ever heard him tell stories. Uh, Al, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on and giving me the time. What does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting now that's what I call depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, wrinkled ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, 
the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Ah!